Um, if so, if you put your hands up, if you made a New Year's resolution. Put your hands up if you made New Year's resolution. A few of you, keep your hands up if you've managed to keep that New Year's resolution. That's pretty good. Okay, only a few people made the use of New Year's resolution. I'm assuming that we've got a, a particularly cynical crowd here. Um, but really good that those people who, who made it, did you make really simple ones? Like, no? Really hard one? Yeah. I, I once made one saying, you know, this is in the UK where it's January and February, the coldest months of the year, and I decided I'm not going to go for hot puddings. And my school put on hot puddings for me, like, Cherry, cherry pie and lashings of custard, and it was. I, I gave. I made a New Year's resolution not to eat uh, hot puddings all the way through that month, and I managed to succeed. Except I went back for seconds for the main course, so <laughs> that didn't really work quite the way I wanted to. Um, but generally, it's really, really hard to to kind of keep to these promises that we make to ourselves. And so sometimes we kind of compromise a little bit or say we haven't quite, or we, we won't, uh, we'll do it except on the weekends. I mean, does that sound familiar? Um, and it's a really good thing that as Christians we don't, uh, the promises that we make don't re rely on us. The salvation, the promise of salvation to us doesn't rely on us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And this sermon follows quite nicely on from the two sermons that I gave um, in December, the Christmas sermons. So if you were here then, uh, not too many were here for both of them, I think. Are they on the internet? Are they on the website? They're prepared to go up. They're going to go up. Okay. But those should be fairly familiar passages anyway. So the first one was on Isaiah 9, and that is that great prophecy that a child will come, and he will end all wars, and this child will be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of David, the Light of God. But he will be God. And the second was on uh, Matthew chapter 1, uh, and the, Matthew's retelling of the beautiful Christmas story. And all of us should be fairly familiar with that. We have the stoic, uh, the very uh, um, down-to-earth Joseph, who uh, puts up with everything that's going on, the beautiful damsel in distress, Mary. We've got the shepherds with their fluffy sheep. Um, we've got uh, the, the angels in all their glory singing. And of course, we've got the lovely baby Jesus, who never, obviously never ever cried, cute and in the manger. No, obviously he cried. But, um, but I said at that time that when we looked through Matthew, that non-Christians love to leave Jesus right there in the manger, being cute and cuddly, not threatening at all. They love to leave Jesus there in the manger, rather than dealing with the grown-up, historical figure, real historical figure of Jesus Christ, who challenges them and uh, makes them question what they're doing. Jesus, the teller of tales, the worker of miracles, who gave his life at, you know, to go to a gruesome death to save everyone who believes, uh, a life-changing acceptance and belief 
if you accept that salvation. So the title of this talk is, Who is this Jesus? This very real, grown-up Jesus. Who is this Jesus? So we're going to turn to uh, John's Gospel. Probably my favourite passage in the Bible because it's been so instrumental uh, in... Uh, so John chapter 1, in, in, uh, in shaping my understanding of Christianity and in key points in, in my uh, growth as a Christian. So John chapter 1, reading from verse 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the, and, and the world was made through him, yet the world, uh, sorry, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his, pe his own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he will come, who, will, who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came from, uh, through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made, uh, he has made him known. In the beginning. So when you hear those words... What do you think? Straight away you're thinking Genesis 1. And that's John's intention. In the beginning. Well, who was there at the beginning? It was God. Just God. So who is this word? He was there at the beginning. It can only be God. And that's the point. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there's no doubt who this Word was going to be. And Jesus, uh, sorry, John pushes it further. He said, he was with God in the beginning, though through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. So have no doubt that the Jews who claim, uh, claim the, um, sorry, um, so when Jesus claims to be God, claims to be the Messiah, the Jews want to stone him. 
the Jews will stone him, try and stone him. And we see that in the Gospels, and we have that shouldn't come as any surprise because he claims to be God. Again, I've said this before, what, what would happen if we, you went into the local mosque and said, I am Allah? Yes, you would probably get lynched. You'd have to run quickly. And this name, the word, what does it mean? What does it stand for? I don't know how many of you are watching the highly controversial uh, Game of Thrones. I've heard actually some Christians who, are, who have written about it and say, don't watch it, even though they've never watched it. So it is terrible. Um, yes, it has a bit of sex in it, and a, but no more than many of the other TV shows nowadays. It can be a, a little bit violent. But in it, there's a character called the Hand of the King. Uh, or just, they're just given the title of the Hand. And what does that mean? They are literally the person who can do the work of the king, the right-hand man. So that, that title, the hand of the king, is the person who does the work of the king. And what is this, this title, the word? Well, surely it's the person who speaks the very words of God, the word. Let's look on. So do keep this passage in front of you. And I apologize, I've, uh, I, I wrote this originally with uh, at the NIV version, so it's, it's, it sounds slightly different. Um, so, in him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, the Jews would have recognized this straight away from the prophecies. It's a direct reference to Isaiah 9, isn't it? Now, if you don't know it, then please turn, with, uh, turn uh, to it with me. So, Isaiah 9. Some of you will be very familiar with this. So, Isaiah 9, starting from verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the uh, land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They, re they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar that crosses their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every uh, garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It's a great symbol of all war ending, isn't it? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There is no doubt that this person, this child, will be God. So... This is another one of those great Christmas passages. As I said at the time, it was written over 700 years before the birth of Christ. And we have the manuscripts that are dated before then to prove it. wasn't changed. We have those manuscripts. Look up the Dead Sea Scrolls if you're not sure. But we have that in there. And here it is again, the light that will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he will sit on David's throne forever. So back to John 1. 
I'm going to jump down uh, a few verses to verse 9. And here it is again. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the, the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Sorry, I'm reading the NIV version. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Well, that sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? If we know about the stories of Jesus, he was rejected. And of course, John is referring to the Jews, echoing the prophets through God time and time again, where God pleads with his people to come back to him. There is that parable that Jesus tells about the vineyard. The owner of the vineyard sends people, his workers, time and time again, and the workers in the vineyard reject the servants of the, the master, and then the master sends the son. And we know what happens to him. <clears throat> but it also refers to God's creation, doesn't it? We're all God's people in some ways. We have been created by God. So Jesus is sent to us. And in truth, that's who God is reaching out to. Are we going to reject him? There's a, the amazing painting on the roof of the Sistine Chapel by Michelangelo in Rome. I don't know whether you've seen it. You've probably seen posters or pictures of it. It has, it's called um, The Creation of Adam. And it's got Adam just sitting back and it's got his hand just very lazily reaching out and saying, ah, oh, yeah, okay, God, I'm, I'm here. And then on, in contrast, in the opposite corner, you have God reaching out every sinew, every muscle, every strain, stretching out to try and reach and have a relationship with Adam. This is God trying to reach out to have a relationship with us straining, giving everything. And Adam's just there, okay, maybe. <laughs> How much does that re reflect us? I feel, you know, very much like Adam at that stage. How much did it take to convert you, for you to become a Christian? For me, it, I look back and I, I, I realize without pride, that circled through so much. I was born into a Christian family. I went to church from when I was young. Um, we used to meet with my grandmother every evening and pray and read through a chapter of the Bible. And I'm, you know, I'm really glad of that, but I'm thinking God had to go through all of that and still I was starting to reject him. And God reached into my life and said, I'm here. Sorry, into my life and said, I'm here. And God had to go through all of that to make me a Christian and to reach out to me. And I slowly accepted him. So, are we like Jonah? We flee away. We run away. We run as far as we can and God still chases after us. How can we doubt that that is a loving God? 
Now let's uh, let's uh, move down to the very centre of this passage. Now those of you who you have studied Jewish uh, scriptures, uh, the Bible, um, there is a literary technique that I'm not going to go into now. It's called a chiasm, um, and it's about the mirroring of, of points. And right here in the middle of John, so if you look at John, there are some uh, some uh, verses which seem to be very similar, and they mirror each other, and and until they get to the centre, and that centre is the key point of the passage. And in this verse, if you want to look it up, look up chiasm. C-H-I-A-S-M. Look it up for John 1. And it's really clear. And I usually, when I do a Bible study, I I, I cut up the the passage and get people to to kind of match up which verses seem similar. And right in the middle is verse 12. And this is the key to the gospel. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Sorry, I memorized that when I was uh, I had the NIV. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the heart of the gospel. I heard a ma- an amazing uh, a sermon when I was just a, a, a teenager and, and just going into university. So I was in my sixth form year and I was just going to university and it was very key to my understanding of Christianity. It had three simple points, well four, um, as all good evangelical sermons have, but it was, it, the, the four points was it's not about race, it's not about rules, and it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. So it's not about race, it's not about rules, and it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. You see, the Jews thought that they were part of the chosen people. If you were a Jew, you were saved. Circumcision was a a great mark of that, which is why circumcision becomes a big deal for Paul later. But if you were a Jew, you were saved. And many people think the same today. Well, my parents, my grandparents were Christian. My parents are Christian. I've been to church all my life. I've gone to a Christian school. I live in a Christian country. I must be a Christian. And I've come across that among my students. And yes, the British people do think they are the chosen people. I think the Americans sometimes do as well. <laughs> but I, I can definitely say that the British think they are the chosen people. Even though we're losing at cricket and losing at football, we're still the chosen people. If you've seen the, uh, the reliefs, the pictures, Jesus is always a white British man. Yes, of course. Terribly arrogant people. No, it's not about race. It doesn't matter which race you are. And actually the flip side is true as well. When we, um, when we talk to Jews, they say, I can't be a Christian, I'm a Jew. Well, actually you can. It's not about race. It doesn't matter who your parents are. And parents, please teach this to your children. Please be the witness to your children. It's not about who your parents are. It's not about race. And there is the story about the rich young man who obeyed the commandments since he was young. 
And why was he unable to gain eternal life? Jesus says afterwards, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Who among us is without sin? I've been a Christian for over 25 years now, and every day I realize how much more sinful I am and how much how that bar is getting higher and higher, that is that it is unreachable. Those standards that God sets are unreachable, and thank God I don't have to reach them because God lifts, lifts us up. Not that I'm sinning more than I did then, it's just I realize how much more selfish I am. And anyone who's done any babysitting will know this. You look after a child, especially if you played hide-and-seek with them. You see, they tell you where to hide. Yeah, and then they count up to ten, and then they come and find you. It, because everything revolves around them. And then they start playing with other children and realize, mm, maybe not. But it's still very, very selfish. And as we grow, we throw a few strops as a teenager. Well, I did, anyway have lots of arguments with our parents and we realize actually we've got to think about other people maybe our friends and then when we go out to work or we start looking after others and we realize actually we can't be the center of life and we start understanding what service is but we're still so selfish we've got to look after number one and it's like that ancient belief really so it's that for uh, the ancient Egyptian belief that at the end of your life, your heart is measured in a scales against uh, a feather. And if it's heavier than a feather, well, then you're going to eternal damnation. If it's lighter than a feather, you're going to heaven. It's not about rules. Thank goodness, thank God, it's not about those things. Every other religion in the world is about obeying rules, obeying things. You see, it says, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name. It doesn't say those who are doing, obeying the commandments. No, love is freely given. Talks time and again, time and time again. The Bible talks time and time again about God as a Father, and that He loves us and He wants to give us all good things. Not about rules. How many of us have tried to earn our parents' love through doing things? That's a terrible thing. I see that in my school. Some of the students try to win your favour by doing things. Try and win their parents' love by doing things. Their parents lavish their love only by their, their children's success. And that's a terrible thing to live by. Those children are incredibly insecure. Some of them uh, suffer from anxiety attacks because they feel that they are not worthy. Well, love is freely given, isn't it? You don't love your child because they do things for you. You love them because they're your child. You see, Christianity is not about rules. And it's not about religion. So it's not about going to church. 
The Pharisees hated Jesus. His disciples disobeyed the Jewish laws, and Jesus disobeyed the Jewish laws. He healed on the Sabbath. He mixed with the unclean. Are we as Christians nowadays uh, ready to do that, to mix with criminals, to reach out to prostitutes? Are we ready to be compassionate with homosexuals? It's not about being religious. It's not about being judgmental. It's not about being separate. Do we have a judgmental, holier-than-thou attitude because we think we have, we've been saved? Why have we been saved? Not because anything we've done. It's not about religion. Are there people who you think uh, you, you don't deem worthy to be part of God's people? Then you've misunderstood what Jesus is saying, what God is saying. You see, it's not about religion. It's not about how religious you are or what type of person you are. Jesus came not to heal the healthy or those who think they're healthy, but to heal the sick. That's why he came to find the lost. He reached out to prostitutes. He reached out to the diseased. He reached out to tax collectors. He reached out to those whose society rejected. And what does this passage say in verse 12? Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of uh, human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. I'm going to jump down to verse 17. We're almost finished. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who himself God is, uh, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. I know the ESV is, uh, words are slightly different. Many people believe that we can't know God. I've said this before. Well, we can't know God unless he reveals himself to us. And that is what Jesus came to do. Who can know God except someone who has been with God and someone who is God? He came to witness to the Father. He brings grace and truth. He has made the Father known. And he died to restore their relationship with him so that we can become children in his family. Not just followers, but children in his family. Children who have lavished on us unconditional love. All we have to do is accept it, to believe. And that is a life-changing love. Life-changing acceptance of that salvation. And is that not worthy of sharing to others? Let me pray. Father, thank you that you have sent your son, this very real Jesus, who died for us, who taught us what it is to love, to taught, uh, who taught us what it is to be your children, who taught us who you are. Lord, we pray that we can 
yearn to love you more and more in response to your love to us because you can't love us anymore. Help us to stop trying to earn that love. Instead, responding to that love and showing that love to others. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let me just leave.